inhaling frequencies are open. Welcome, welcome to the Infinite Potato Alliance. Welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. Are you out of your mind? Watch and learn. This is going to be awesome. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. You are stopping to the core. I can smell it on you. Join us as we dive into the newest content coming available, as well as retrospectives of the past series and films. Do we need a mutiny today to prove who we are? Now, on with the show. We've only just begun. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of that Star Trek podcast, your place for a detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. So Scott's having a little bit of... uh, technical difficulties but he'll we'll get him in as soon as he gets that straightened out but we've got a treat for you guys tonight because before we start digging into the plot of this week's episode we've got a special guest that stopped by to share a few minutes with us eduardo roman how are you sir i am good i'm good i'm thank you for the invitation it's a pleasure did i pronounce your name right it's fine yeah okay okay either way roman or roman oh okay 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 well yeah, it, it's fine if you don't recognize Eduardo's name, he played in Star Trek Picard in this season, in season two, uh, episode eight, which was titled Mercy. He was the Vulcan. If you remember, uh, Agent Wells had a flashback to back when he was a child, and uh, he was the Vulcan that attempted to do the, the mind meld with him. So uh, how long have you uh, been acting? Ooh, I've been acting since... Wow. Um, right after college, I, st- I went to law school, you know, to please my parents. And right after that, after, <laughs> after I graduated, I'm like, I want to do this. I want to give it a try. Yeah. So I moved to Mexico City. Oh, by the way, I'm from Mexico. Um, you can hear it in the accent, probably. <laughs> and uh, so I after I graduated law school in my hometown in Mexico, I moved to Mexico City to um, to pursue acting, to study and to start working. So yeah, it's been a while. So I'm a, I've been an actor for over 25 years. Yeah. So you went to I saw on your IMDb that you went to law school. So you went to law school and just when as soon as you got out of law school, you decided you wouldn't be you never practiced law at all. I never practiced law. Really? And my so, and my dad, rest in peace, he was a lawyer. Yeah. And he was hoping that I would uh, go to Mexico City and then quit and then come back and you know, work with him, you know? Yeah. And that never happened. Oh, and, the acting bug bitch. So. <laughs> no, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he was, he told me, you know what? I'm, I'm really happy that you're doing what you like and you're making a living out of it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it worked out at the end, you know? Well, how did it, how did it come that you ended up in this episode of Picard? Was it just, um, a, just an audition or and how, how did it happen? Okay. Oh, let me let me tell a fun fact before okay. I move on to that. Sure. I my hometown is Torreón, Coahuila, and that is the city Ricardo Montalban, aka Khan, was okay. born right. was born was born in Mexico City, but he he grew up. They moved they moved that when he was a child. They moved to my hometown, and he basically his childhood, his teenage years, all the way to college, 
he was he he lived in my hometown. He was raised there in my hometown. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, he's like like a hometown treasure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to answer your question, well, I'm in Los Angeles. For people that uh, don't know where I live, I'm currently in Los Angeles. I'm in Burbank. I have an agent, like every actor does here. Otherwise, you don't get the auditions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So I got the audition from my agent for um, this show named Dylan's Kitchen. And I'm like, oh, Dylan's Kitchen. Yeah, must be a new show, right? Yeah. And the audition was for a bartender. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, and I had, I had like a few days to turn it in. And I was like, you know what? I'll do it later because I had some other stuff that I had to work on before. And like, I'll just leave it for later. Right. I didn't know what it really was for. So the very next day after I get that audition, um, Joe Menendez, director, he directed episodes seven and eight of season two of Picard. Right. Joe sends me a message. Joe, uh, Joe is my friend and he knows my previous work. I did this short film that won a bunch of festivals. And when Joe saw it, he instantly became a fan of the short and a fan of my work. And the, the short film is called, uh, it's, it's named Contrapelo. It's in Spanish, but believe me, you don't need to, to speak Spanish. That's the great thing about that short. Yeah. It, it's, it's, even though it's in Spanish, it's subtitled, but even if it didn't have any subtitles, you totally know what's going on. It, it's on Apple TV if you guys want to watch it. Oh, okay. Anyway, it, it was shortlisted for the Oscars. We, we, we made it to the, to, the to, to the last stand. We didn't make it to the five nominees. But right, yeah. We're close. Anyway, so I've known Joe for what is it like more than no 10? Yeah, more than 10 years, probably. And uh, so he sends me a me after I get that audition for Dylan's Kitchen. The next day I get a message from Joe and he's like, hey, man, you get a, an audition for Star Trek. And I was like, Star Trek. <laughs> I'm not, and, I, and I tell him, no, I said, I told him, no. And he's like, oh, man, they messed up again. I, I'm going to call casting and make sure you get it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to get an audition for Star Trek. Uh, the next day, this is the third day now, my mm -hmm. agent calls me. She's like, hey, they really want you to audition for that uh, bartender role. Uh, it's for Star Trek. I'm like, Dylan's Kitchen is Star Trek? <laughs> uh, I'm like, yeah. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll record it right now. I'll self I'll put myself on tape right now. And she's, and then she's like, they also want you to read for this other role. There's no dialogue, but uh, they want you to read for it. Some alien. It said alien. It's still, the script still, still said uh, Dylan's Kitchen. And it said that the role was alien. Oh, really? <laughs> and then, uh, of course, I went like, what, what alien is this? You know, what race is this? What yeah, planet? Yeah. Like, oh, my God, I, I was hoping it was a Vulcan. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I hope it's a Vulcan. So then um, um, I record the auditions, submit them to casting. A few days pass, and uh, Joe sends me a message. Joe's a busy man, so it's always messages. <laughs> yeah. He's <laughs> like, hey, we're looking at your auditions. We like what you did for both the bartender and the Vulcan. And I was like, what? <laughs> Vulcan? 
And uh, we're trying to see where to put you, which one. And then he's like, which one? I mean, I, I, I don't have a say. I don't choose. I don't pick. There's a whole people involved in the process. But which one, if it were up to you, which one would you like to play? The bartender who has lines or the Vulcan who has no dialogue? I'm like, dude, the Vulcan, I don't care, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, it's a Vulcan in capital letters. He wrote it. Yeah, I know it's a Vulcan. Like, yeah, that's the obvious, you know? And, see, and so he's like, okay, we'll see. You know, we're talking, we're just deciding, you know. And a few days pass. This all takes, eh, uh, it's a process and it right, takes yeah, time. Yeah. And, you know, you as an actor, you have to forget about these things because you can't you can be like dwelling, uh, you know, thinking it, it's, tor- it's torturing yourself. Am I going to get it? What am I going to get? Uh, so I kind of tend try to forget. So I kind of forgot about it. Then like... I don't know, three or four days passed. My agent calls me and she's like, Hey, you got the job, you got the job for Star Trek. I'm like, which one? <laughs> which character? Oh, you got the Vulcan. I'm like, oh man, amazing. I was, I was, you know, over the moon. And there and she's like, Well, network still has to approve you. Yeah, yeah. So, and what that means for people who don't know is that. Even though they already like my audition, they got to see, they got to investigate me, basically, Mm -hmm. to see that I didn't post some stupid things on Twitter that I, you know, you know know what I mean. Basically, you're a nice person. (laughs) Well, now I've heard stories of like, uh, uh, I'm a big fan of like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and stuff like that. So I listened to a podcast that uh, Vince Gilligan does. And he's the uh, he's the writer of a lot of those scripts, and he and he's directed a lot of the episodes. He's cr- the creator of both of those shows, yes. and um, he's very protective of like his scripts getting out. So mm-hmm. when he he calls uh, agents, call actors to come in and audition for stuff, he writes scenes that have nothing to do with the script, but the character that he writes in this fake script is kind of similar. To what he's wanting you know so they stay like i know i think aaron paul is the guy that played jesse on uh on breaking bad i think he originally read for uh like a cop or something like that <laughs> i guess just to just to find out uh what they can do you know and then and then they find out later oh yeah you're gonna be on breaking bad and they're like oh that's this huge show but um the the bartender role so would there have been a difference if um if you had taken the bartender role, because I'm assuming that the uh, the flashback scene that you were in was like mostly second unit. I don't. You, you probably didn't actually get to meet Patrick Stewart, and I didn't get to meet Patrick Stewart, but he was first unit. Oh, it was first unit. Okay, okay. Yeah, Joe Joe Menendez was directing, and he was the director for those two episodes. The the main director or the only director. Yeah, yeah. And I almost met Patrick because uh, before we actually shot the scene in the woods, which actually happened in the, there's some acres in um, Santa Clarita mm-hmm. and that belong to Disney. Right. And they rented, they rent those uh, locations to other productions. And this one, which was a forest uh, was um, Paramount rented it out from Disney. So they took us out there. And, but before that, what I, what, I, what I was trying to tell you was that I almost met Patrick because I went to a wardrobe fitting oh. and he had just left. 
<laughs> and the wardrobe, the stylist, the main lady who was so nice, everyone was so nice in that, that production. Everyone's incredible and amazing. And you fall in love with them because they're so nice and so professional. The main, the stylist, he's like, she was like, oh, you just missed Patrick. And I asked her, would it, would it, would it have been okay to, you know, shake his hand, meet him? He's like, yeah, he's, he's amazing. There were some, a lot of COVID protocols. So maybe I wouldn't have been able to shake his hand, Yeah, but, uh, but it, I almost met him. So I missed that, uh, that opportunity. Um what else? Um, I had a, also be, before shoot date, I had a wardrobe fitting and a prosthetics fitting. They wanted to see, you know, what size of uh, ears they were going yeah. to apply. I see my eyebrows to decide if they were going to cover all of them or use part of them. They, I remember them discussing that, you know what, we'll just use this part and then raise, uh, use the, the fake ones. They ended up covering my real eyebrows, all, all of it, you know, and putting the, the, the Vulcan ones uh, from scratch. Uh, so, yeah, those were the two visits before the actual shoot day. And, um, yeah, amazing experience. Had you ever done any work with uh, prosthetics and stuff before this? No, just 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 the basic stuff like blood, getting yeah. shot, blood. Uh, but no, 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 no. Like applying of a of a new parts on my body. No. Yeah. <laughs> this was the first time. Yeah. Now I went back and looked at your IMDb, and the, I mean, like I said at the beginning, this might be the first time that a lot of the Trek fans have heard your name. But we've, I mean, I've realized I've definitely seen you before because. Uh, you were in Adam ruins everything. I, I yeah. loved, I loved that show. <laughs> How did that happen? Same thing. Uh, an audition from my same agent. Yeah. This one pre, this was, this one was uh, pre COVID. So that one, I actually, I didn't self tape myself. I actually went to the casting director's office mm. and auditioned like anyone, like everyone else and got the job. And I ended up playing it's, it's the show about the bugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember yeah. the show. Yeah, I need to go back and watch it again. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm one of the the jurors, you know, uh, judges, I'm sorry. One of the judges. Uh, um, you know, my, my name was uh, Araña Manches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now, you've done, you've done a lot of voices for, like, uh, a lot of video games. Like, you were in Grand Theft Auto V and Star mm -hmm. Wars The Old Republic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how is uh so when you do like Grand Theft Auto Five, what 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 voice did you do for that? Oh, for that one, um, for that one, it was just um, people on the streets. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a long time ago. If you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the game the game came out a while back. Yeah, yeah, that was a long time. But it was voices of people on the streets, um, you know, yelling, uh, uh, even some. Um, um dying noises oh, oh yeah <laughs> Which is, it's a lot of fun let me tell you it's a lot of fun it's it's going back to being five years old and playing with your friends that you're you know shooting dying ah, yeah <laughs> meaning, yelling stop there whatever you know that was fun the star wars one that one that one was very interesting really they really wanted um 
Latinos for for it because of the uh, way I never read a word in English for the Star Wars one. Oh, really? Okay. Everything I read, Hatties and Rodian. That that's Greedo's language, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Hatties and Rodian. Because the way the pronunciation of the vowels of the syllables is very similar to Spanish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So uh, it was a full day of <laughs> things like that. Now, the crazy thing is that all this was written. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how many times do you have to repeat that to yourself before you can remember it? I mean, I know you're reading it when you're when you're mm-hmm. actually reading the, the copy, but mm-hmm. uh, how many times do you have to repeat it before you can just let it flow like that? It, honestly, and it, it's I'm, I'm, it's not that it's saying that, oh, I'm so good at it. It's just, <laughs> yeah, they're really Spanish language syllables. So right. honestly, I didn't have to re- to repeat that much. It oh, was like okay. Okay. one full read. If they had me repeat, it was not because of uh, of mispronunciation. It was because he wanted the director wanted me to say it in a certain way, like, "Hey, you know what? You're happy here, or you're angry here." Mm-hmm. And that was the only reason we had to go back and maybe repeat a, a sentence. You know, you're giving out a command or whatever. You know. Now I know. Uh talking to you before uh before you came on the show you you told me that you might not be as knowledgeable about star trek as a lot of the the audience i mean i mean we watched we've been watching star trek since we were kids mm-hmm. um you said that you uh wanted to play a vulcan so you obviously know enough about it so how, how big of a star trek fan do you were were you before uh doing this show Big enough. Yeah. Big enough. I grew up. I, I, uh, in another interview that I that I did last week, they asked me uh, how did Star Trek show up in my life, and being from the hometown that I told you about in Mexico, mm-hmm. we didn't get the original series. My my brother corrected me because he said yes, we got it. Remember, but we got it. We got it like only on the weekends. The original series, and the from the Mexican channel dubbed into Spanish. And we just got like, they, like what happened is back then the, the, the channels in Mexico, they would buy like packages. Right. And, yeah. And then they would, they would show whatever episode they felt like. So it wasn't in order. And I remember seeing a few episodes when I was a kid and this is in the eighties. I'm talking about the, no, talking about the uh, late seventies, early 80s mm-hmm. watching the old episodes of course right but they were all like they were not in order it was a mess it was a mess so that's why i think i have this like i didn't i didn't have this order but then we got cable in the 80s and then we got the movies right okay so i remember watching wrath of can getting the toys getting the action figures and that made me want to go back when i was a little bit older and search for the original series. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I got, I just got this last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Oh yeah. My friend <laughs> Dave, Spock, yeah. David Stefan, he uh, he's part of Exo Six. Oh. 
and uh, David is a good friend, and uh, I ordered it. I don't get free stuff yet, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm a fan. I am a fan. Yes, you didn't get to keep any of your uh, any of your props or your uh, costume or anything from the from the show. No, they 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 were very they are very um, careful with all of that stuff. Yeah, I signed an NDA. I couldn't say anything to anyone. I couldn't take anything. I couldn't even, I didn't even have the, uh, I didn't even want to ask, you know, yeah. even the, 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 the few onset pictures that I have, uh, Joe, the director took them with, with his phone. I didn't even want to, I want, you know, I want to go back. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to <laughs> cause any trouble, you know? And, uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I behaved. And, um, also, I couldn't tell anyone and I kept it very secret. I did tell a friend, Hey, I'm going to be on, on Star Trek Picard. And he immediately, you must be related to Rios because I'm like, you <laughs> yeah. know, because of the beard, you know, I'm like, uh, I can't say maybe, I don't know, man. I'm like, so when it came out, it, my friend was blown away that I wasn't related to Rios, that I was a Vulcan. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, can you hear me? I believe I'm actually here this time. Okay. <laughs> I apologize, both uh, Sean, boss, sorry, and and Mr. Roman. I am very sorry for all that. Man, you made it. You're here. Awesome. <laughs> hey, it happens. <laughs> well, I'm we'll sure say... Sean already said it, but it's very nice to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Nice. Did uh, so? Did anybody? Ha- Anybody that I know, you you probably talked a little bit online with with some of the fans since the episode aired, mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of speculation going around yeah. that uh, that your character was okay. So I don't know if you remember the episode Carbon Creek from Enterprise. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's been a lot of speculation that you were playing one of those Vulcans, mm-hmm. or that you were. Uh, or that it was a mission related to that, that this may have been actually Carbon Creek mm-hmm. uh, just 20 some odd years later. Cause Wells, this would have been like the seventies, right? Yeah. 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 So uh, do you have any speculation to that? Or, I mean, whatever speculation, it would only come from my own. Yeah. Head. No, they never told me they keep, they keep, they keep things open. And that's why, you know, I wish I can get to go back and work again on it. You know, what was on the script is all that I knew yeah. about, you know, yeah. and what Joe told me, which was not a much more only, only we only, only, we only talked about that particular scene. What was happening is that at that moment, mm. yes, the mind mail was unsuccessful because it was interrupted by the me getting beamed up. Mm-hmm. Both, both my Vulcan partner and myself getting beamed up. Why did they beam me up? They never told me. They never, you know. I wish I could tell you. Yeah, yeah I understand. <laughs> and you know, probably they told. If they would have told me, they would have told me. Tell me, they would probably tell me to shut up and don't say anything. But honestly, I can tell you right now, not a lot of not a lot of information was on the script. Yeah. Okay. I'll say that, I mean, um, we as fans that have been watching Star Trek for so long, mm-hmm. we can tell sometimes when uh, they cast someone as a Vulcan that might 
be trying too hard to be a Vulcan. But mm-hmm. I'll say in, in the in the brief glimpse, I mean, in the brief glimpse, we got, you know, one and a half scenes with you in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, in that brief glimpse, you hit that Vulcan vibe and it didn't look unnatural. You know, you 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 did a good job as a Vulcan in that episode. I would not be surprised if they had you come back and, and to to play a similar character at some point in the future. Maybe not on Picard, but maybe on Strange New Worlds or the yeah. Discovery or something like that. So I'm crossing fingers, Sean. Thank and yeah. thank you for that. I I did, even though I already knew what a Vulcan was, how they behaved. I I did go back. I did go back and watched a lot of Spock. Yeah. And I, besides watching Spock, I also wanted to see what they were doing with, what with the with the new Vulcans or not new, um, with the new show with the Vulcans in the new show. So I mm-hmm. I I went to Discovery and I I watched Sarek. Yeah. New Sarek, not Mark Leonard. Right. Um, I forget his name, the British actor. He's, he's James Frame. Yes. So I watch uh, James as well. And I try to get, you know, the best parts from both of those guys, you know. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really yeah, appreciate it, that. it. It flowed really naturally. Just the, the it, a person can even try too hard just with the, with the expression on their face to... Mm-hmm really overplay what they're trying to put across. But I, I, I do have to agree with Sean. It was it was really just cool, relaxed, and and it just f- flowed across your face and out of the screen real easy. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Do you have any other stuff that you're uh, that you're working on that you want to uh, tell us about before you go? Um there's a movie out right now. It's uh, it just came out a couple of weeks ago. It's called Coast. Okay. Melissa Leo is in it. Uh, Christelle Alonso, the, the comedian that she has two specials on Netflix. Uh, totally different role. I played a high school teacher for the main girl. It's a coming of age uh, teenager film. Mm-hmm. Okay. If anyone is interested in that, it's, it's, it's on um, Amazon. It's on YouTube, Apple TV for rent or to buy. Okay. And um I'm auditioning. I like right after I am done here with you guys, I have to submit a couple of auditions. Uh, there's an, oh, another movie with Abby Cornish. Um, I forgot the title. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, <it's fine>. <laughs> <laughs> that should be coming out later this year. Uh, it's on, it's on my IMDb. I forgot the title of it. I am, I am so sorry. I'm so focused on the, What's coming what, up? It, what, is this uh, uh, mm-hmm. ultra violent and the blue demon that that you that you've got coming out? Uh, no, no, no. Um, hmm, that's bad. I should know the titles. I'm so sorry. And there's another one called Detained that you Detained. Wrote. Okay, is that it? Yeah. Detained. Yes, with Abby Cornish. I have that coming out. That's a little role. And then I have a play here. If anyone's here in LA. We are premiering a new play by Evelina Fernandez, and she's a great playwright. She's writing some shows for Apple TV as we speak. She's and she has this new play, and we're we are premiering it in premiering in May nineteenth at the LATC in downtown LA. Okay. That, yeah, if anyone's in LA, we're gonna be there for a month and a half, which is a lot for LA because it's, there's not a lot of theater in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
so yeah, that's what's coming up and um, um, looking forward to doing some more Star Trek and maybe some Star Wars too. You know, I have friends who work on in production for Star Wars. I'm like, guys, bring, bring me in for auditions, please. Yeah. The, yeah. It'd be great to see you turn up in uh, Mandalorian or, or something like that. <laughs> Last question. Is that a Batmobile coffee table back there? Yes, that's the uh, Hot Toys uh, 1989, you know, Michael Keaton Bat- Batmobile. That is pretty sweet. I like that. <laughs> that. I also got to look at the uh, the DC Comics poster uh, right over your shoulder there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which caught my eye because I have, I believe, that same print. Uh, oh, yeah? Pack- it's uh, Justice in- League. Justice League, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, from, it- from Mondo. Yep, I, it's it's not up on on my wall yet. Um, I had it up at my old place, and uh, uh, post divorce, I hasn't made it out of the boxes yet. But one of these days, <laughs> it's a nice one. I, I I framed it. It was worth the frame, you know, that the Michaels frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I know you have another engagement to get to, so uh, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat with us. Um, so g- good luck, everything that you've got going on. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, hopefully you can see me on more Star Trek soon. All right. Well, that that'll great. be a nice interview for me to go back and listen to. <laughs> hey, that happens. I mean, <laughs> this week we will be discussing the ninth and penultimate episode of Star Trek Picard's second season, which was titled Hide and Seek, written by Matthew Okamura and Christopher B. Derrick, and directed by Michael Weaver. Picard must face the ghosts of his past when he and his crew are attacked by a new incarnation of an old enemy, and uh, Seven and Rafi face Jurati in a final showdown. So, uh, Scott, what did you think of this episode? Um, I, I liked it overall. Um, I, with, with a few aspects that I didn't really love um the the apparently limitless um army of of uh, mercenary special ops soldier of for- soldiers of fortune uh, seemed a little convenient yeah but uh you know you need a borg army somehow and this is how how you get one started from the ground level but uh o- overall uh pretty enjoyable with as usual the the few um uh quibbles yeah it was it was more enjoyable than some of the stuff that i've seen over the last uh, few episodes last week wasn't that bad this week was was a it was a good episode but there was some stuff that happened that um the first time i watched it i didn't really have a problem with it but the more i thought about it and when i went back and watched it a second time I just some of the stuff I just couldn't seem to get over. The main thing being the Elnor hologram, because <laughs> when it, when it happened, I loved it. I thought it was mm-hmm. great. Right. But the more I thought about it, well, they, they had some great fight scenes between him and the drones, and then the 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 fight between him and Jurati was great. Mm-hmm. But um, it's very convenient. Everyone that comes on board the La Serena just has their brain scanned. And there's like a copy of their entire personality in the computer to be uh, put into a hologram at any at any point. And and absolutely up to date, because I, that was like 
last breath of life elnor mm-hmm. yeah that was recreated as he a said i have all of all of elnor's memories up until he died that's what yeah. he said so the last thing that happens when someone dies is the computer just says oh let me just uh grab that brain there good gotcha and uh it's clearly one not attached to the bio bed because that bio bed was not functioning mm-hmm. and two that neural scan uh feature uh is apparently considered an, an essential system because it still had power even though they were having major power issues yeah uh, when they crashed which is why the bio bed wasn't working you would think that the ship would prioritize a bio bed over a neural well, scanner but you know but... he had a he had a mobile emitter on his arm mm-hmm. so i wonder if that's the reason he was wearing the mobile emitter was because the 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 ship wasn't able to generate enough power to actually make the hologram so he had to have the mobile emitter to to function no I, you know, making it is fine that by then they had sorted out most of the issues it was when yeah. they originally crashed yeah yeah and you know rafi's going nuts saying hey you guys work out what you're doing get some power back to this bio bed you would have you would think that the the ship itself would think oh the bio bed's not working and there was someone on it maybe i should turn off the neural scanner and turn on the bio bed yeah back in like what is episode three i think when when this is happening but you know these are the the little questions that you have to pass over in order to get cool stuff in the episode like elnor kicking a whole lot of asses all over the ship and for some reason running around the ship and dodging bullets which i didn't really know why he was so concerned with dodging bullets because he's a goddamn hologram (laughs) yeah and i was i was also wondering i was like why is he hiding why does he just disappear until he needs to be uh, and then he can just come back and then he can attack and then he can disappear again, you know? Right. But it also kind of takes away a little bit from last season because uh, the whole thing with the, the soon, the, the soon character that Brent Spiner played last season. Um, the fact that he Alton Alton soon. So he had scanned Picard and they were able to use that to put into the uh, golem that was Picard's new body. I was like, why is that a big deal if the if the La Serena has everybody backed up? I mean, <laughs> you just just go get a copy and you know of the of the last scan that you had of Picard from up there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh now, I mean the fight scenes were great. The scene with with Rafi and Elnor, it was a good scene. Um it just I mean, if he has all of Elnor's memories, then I'm like, how do you turn him off now? Because <laughs> it almost seems like this is a sentient person. <laughs> yeah. Which I, you could make the argument for all of the Rios holograms as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all right, for, for those of us who have seen Voyager and are familiar with the Mark I emergency medical hologram. Yeah. We saw what happened with that program. To see any other holographic crew member or emergency holographic crew member, it's difficult to treat them as just a hologram because we know that, you know, leave them on for long enough and treat them like a person long enough and they become a person. Yeah. So it's anytime we see a, a Rios hologram come up and say, oh, that could that could be a, a whole separate person, a, a, a sentient artificial uh, uh, being. If you just give him a chance, oh, oh, you turned him off. 
Yeah, well, the the doctor was very much like a computer program when he first started. Mm-hmm. Um, but these holograms are like they're like fully developed people out of the box. They're they're, they're <laughs> full of personality. Yeah, as much as I liked Brent Spiner in the last episode, which I have heard, you know, I've heard people say that he was over the top. But Brent Spiner is always over the top when he's playing a character that does more than data you know um Mm. anytime that he played lore or anything like that this episode i thought that he was a little too video game boss (laughs) because he was he's somebody that shows up and gives a little speech and then you go through the next level you know and then and also i think he figured out that bookcase a little too easily uh like he walked in and he just looked at the thing and said oh they turned this thing and opened this bookcase let's go in there um i would tend to agree that was kind of fast yeah now the 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 board drones in this episode um this is an update of the borg because we don't have any of the it's all nanotech so -hmm. we don't have any of the appendages the hooks and the the different things on their hands they don't have the eye uh covers and things like that it's it's just black eyes and green veins yeah they, and stuff so they, they had um no prosthesis for for any of these uh drones but i think even calling them drones is a bit of a stretch because i all of these uh mercenaries that were raiding the chateau i don't consider them borg i didn't think of them as borg um now the queen we saw her do it once, which means that between episodes, she did it to all of them. But one touch, nano probes go in, they change up the soldier. But I don't think it made them Borg drones. I think it just made them mind-controlled mercenaries. Yeah, I could see that. I think, I think they were just being controlled and puppeted by the Queen, but they weren't actually Borg drones. The, the Borg have always been the Star Trek version of zombies. Mm-hmm. And this was more zombie than I've ever seen them do with the Borg before, because it was it was literally like a sickness, like they got a virus, and it would turn them into this thing. Mm-hmm. And they were probably spreading it among each, because she could probably give it to one, and then he could reach over and give it to the other one, you know. And, probably. And they had the vein, you know, they showed the veins, and you know, like it was an infection, you know. Um, and I do have to talk about the fact that. Seven said Starfleet wouldn't take her after she left, after she got back with the Voyager. But I don't understand why, because she was proven to have probably saved that ship 50 times in the time that she was on it. She said that Janeway threatened to leave, but obviously Janeway didn't leave uh, Starfleet. Yeah, because, because she's in Prodigy. Yeah, yeah. And, but they, I mean, they let Echeb in, but they wouldn't let Seven in. Yeah, I saw someone make that point on. I think it was on uh, Trek Culture, on their ups on their uh, ups and downs video for for this episode. I think they made the same point, which I, it, it's a solid point. There's I don't know how they could explain their way around that. Um, the only thing I could say is that Echeb, when they rescued him, he had never been taken out of the maturation chamber, so he wasn't. I mean, he was a Borg. But he had, I don't know if he had just not been fully matured enough to have been used in the collective yet. 
Yeah. But, uh, but, but seven, seven had, was. Had, and, and had a lot of access, close access to the queen um, and spent too much time as a, as a Borg to, to overlook that. Um, so for, for us, having spent all the years that we did watching Voyager and that crew, we would say, well, yeah, Seven would be a great asset to Starfleet. It'd be very helpful if they want to continue fighting the Borg. Um, but in this episode, Seven says that you know Starfleet wouldn't take her because she was a Borg, which to me, that's a, a you know paraphrase that that's a paraphrased version of Starfleet was racist and they didn't yeah. let her in. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, because now, if, if if they had to write a scene for it, they would have had you know some of the some of the top brass saying, "We understand that she that she helped you. We understand that that she was a member of your crew crew for like four years or whatever it was." Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that she's still a Borg. What if she spent all those years helping you, hoping to get back here? So the board could get a foothold in the Federation, the Alpha Quadrant. We can't take the risk. But if Starfleet was that worried about it, they would have just killed her. Yeah. And so, I mean, Picard was assimilated too. I mean, he was only assimilated for a day and a half, but <laughs> right. he was still fully integrated into the, into the collective, you know. Um, okay. So we'll get into the plot. Uh, so Rios is barely able to evacuate Teresa and her son from the La Serena before uh, the Borg shows up with all of her drones. And uh, they uh, they teleport to uh, Picard's abandoned vineyard and to take it over. And the Queen attempts to uh, gain full access to the ship's systems only to discover... Gerardi had installed a failsafe to prevent this, the emergency combat hologram, which we just talked about. I do think the, the other thing that I think is strange about the ECH is that it took an order from Gerardi, but Gerardi, as far as he could see, Gerardi and the Borg Queen were the same person. I know in that in that scene, we were seeing two different people because we were seeing both sides of the conversation. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, there was just one person standing there, and Elnor took an order from that person. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she said, Let, "Let's play keep away," and his, and and he does. But yeah, I I think there, if they had wanted to, they could have taken the time to explain that it was Gerardi speaking from within the Borg Queen through the ship's systems to the hologram yeah but to take the time and explain all that would have really um uh crippled the pacing of the scene so you just have the hologram taking an order from the hallucination i did love the scene when elnor is trying to pick out his weapon and he picks up a gun and puts it down and picks up another gun and puts it down and then he picks up a sword is very reminiscent of uh pulp fiction Bruce Willis does the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have pl- started playing surf music right then, and I would have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Rios gets wounded, and Picard uh, teleports. Well, Talon teleports him back with uh, Teresa and her and her child, and Picard sets it up so that Rios can't come back. Takes him out of the fight, essentially. And uh, and that's when Soon appears on the battlefield and starts imploring Picard to stand down and let him 
and the queens secure their legacy mm-hmm. and all of that. So a- as Picard and, and Talon go down into the, uh, into the tunnels to evade Soong and the drones and all of that, uh, we start seeing Picard having more of these repressed memories coming out. And uh, yeah. we eventually discover that Picard has this memory of he let his mother out of that. Well, he didn't let her out. He opened the door after his dad had locked her in there. He opened that door and went in there and fell asleep next to her. After he fell asleep, she got up, went in the other room and hung herself. Mm-hmm. And he, he didn't remember that until now. I had a hate-love relationship with this whole part because, for one thing, I wanted to move past all that from that we had an episode where we dealt with all this before um but at the same time it broke my heart to see that picard had been is dealing with this guilt of he 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 essentially feels like he killed his mother Mm -hmm. um and also we always say that hey if they just throw this one line in there and explain this if they'll just throw one line in there we'll be happy and they threw one line in there and he said, sometimes I imagine my mother is an old woman and she's inviting me to tea. That got me because I knew exactly what they were talking about. And it, yeah. it, it worked. It really worked. Yeah. Where no man has gone or where no one has gone before. He has a hallucination of his mother as an old woman and she's inviting him to tea. So that it explained that, um, because you know everybody's like, well, but she, she was an old woman in that episode. How could she be dead when he was a little kid? Yeah. Well, there you go. They they explained it. That's how you retcon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a good example of retcon. Because because it it doesn't rewrite or or contradict anything that was said in that season one episode. Mm-hmm. And now you can go back and rewatch it and and when you see the look on Picard's face as he's so taken aback and confused and doesn't know what to make of seeing, you know, his, his, his mother offering him tea. Now you realize, Oh, it's because as far as he knows, she's been dead essentially his entire life. And now here she is. Yeah. He's not going to pass up that opportunity. Yeah. So that's why he's so mad at Riker. Right. Yeah. Back off. (laughs) So a seven and Rafi make it back to the ship. They reunite with the hologram of Elnor and Rafi and Elnor have their um, have their uh, conversation about mm-hmm. you know Elnor not blaming her for his death and everything, and it really solidified. That, I, I mean, I don't want to. I like Elnor. I like the uh, I like the guy that plays Elnor, but it really solidified the fact that I hope that he stays dead because the fact that they had this uh, conversation, it it would kind of take away from it. It would very much take away from it. If time travel, you know, shenanigans happen next week and Elnor is back alive at the end of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, I would hate for, I can't remember his name, but the guy that played Elnor, I I, I would hate for him to lose a job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I believe it's Evan Evagora. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Um, but as Dave said, you know, a couple of weeks ago, this show needs to have some stakes. Mm-hmm. You know, so the fact that they killed this character, yeah, they brought him back for this one-off uh, 
part, but I kind of hope that the actual character that they don't just erase everything and bring it and bring it back. Because I think that this journey is important for Ralphie's character. Yeah. Because of the whole thing that she had going on with her own family, she lost her family and now she's lost Elnor. She's blaming herself just like she blamed herself for what happened with her own family. And now, uh, and now if that's a race, it's going to take away, it would take away from all that. So, yeah. Okay, so with the, the the queen is wearing a transport inhibitor, they they start beaming the drones off of the ship and beaming them down into the tunnels, like into the wall. <laughs> that that's uh, that's a way to do it. Yeah, that's 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 a bad way to go. But <laughs> but <clears throat> I mean, I suppose at this point, who gives a shit about butterflies? Because yeah. these are actual, you know, twenty-first century humans. Yeah, that are that are assaulting it, and you know, we're just going to assume that none of them were important, and none of them had any impact on on the world or the lives of anyone else ever. And we're just going to snuff them out, literally dozens of them, mm-hmm. in the course of defending the ship, and we'll just assume that it will have zero impact on the future. But it's very bad that Rios is flirting with this woman because that could cause butterflies and change the future. Yeah. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. I was busy slaughtering dozens of men. <laughs> the timeline. And if, you, and if you're going to slaughter them, though, I should also point out, if, if you're going to slaughter them, do you really need to beam them into solid rock in the tunnels under the thing? That seems a little excessive. And I mean, just a little mean. I mean, That's, yeah, they're, they're trying. They're trying to kill you, but it's not their fault. If you need to kill these guys, then just disperse their patterns. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 a way to to um, it's a way to let Picard know that they're doing something on the surface. <laughs> I guess because he's down in the tunnels, and all of a sudden these these Borg are just beaming into the walls, uh, and uh, but uh, th- this this the timeline is circular. And I'm wondering how much the whole butterfly thing would even matter because we talked about the fact that, yeah, this one event, the the mission that Rene Picard is supposed to be going on, that's what changes the future into this totalitarian um, Nazi-type regime where Picard's evil and all that. But the fact that that happened means that Picard and other characters that went back in time in other Star Trek episodes never did that, or they did it differently, which caused the past to be different too. Because we go back into the past and Guinan doesn't remember Picard from when she met him in the 1800s because it never happened because that future version of Picard never did that, you know? So we Mm -hmm. got this timeline that's circular. And I'm wondering, you change this one thing, it changes the future, but that future affected the past as well. And now that past is different, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if how much changing uh, the, the butterfly thing even matters, as long as they change this one event that everything is is centered on uh, or, or keep Q from changing it in the first place, that everything will just go back to normal. But. We need we need to uh, isolate a sound clip from. I can't remember the name of it. I, I think it's I think it's visionary. 
is the name of the episode of DS9, where O'Brien keeps flashing several hours into the future. Yeah. And gets a glimpse of what happens. Then he comes back to the present time. Yeah. And now he has to try to avoid, you know, the fight in uh, in Quirks or his own death in the in the hallway in the habitat ring or the destruction of the station, etc. And the scene where he's talking to himself in the bedroom, yeah, because one stumbles in while he's sleeping, and just the two O'Briens at the same time. I hate temporal mechanics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We just need to isolate that line and we need to drop it in anytime we have these conversations because <laughs> yeah, I I don't I don't love referencing Avengers Endgame too much for this because they they went over it so many times and made such a big deal of it in the movie. But sometimes you just have to uh grant that they make a good point. Don't overthink it. You just have to go with it. Some things there will be no satisfactory explanation for, like yeah. the temporal mechanics of this season's storyline. Right. We just gotta, we just gotta go with the flow. I, I also want to talk about the fact that um, Seven gets mortal. Basically, she gets mortally wounded. She gets a stomach wound, mm-hmm. and the way that Girardi can save her is by assimilating her. But she assimilates her and puts the exact same devices on her that she had before. I mean, not any different. She's got the thing on her neck. She's got the cortical implant. She's got the thing on her hand. And she's not not even updated. Just exact the, the exact same ones. Which I don't want Black Eyes 7 or anything like that. But, but yeah, it just seems weird that. Well, this is how we're going to do that. We're, we're going to get her back to looking like the same old seven. And this is how we're going to do it. You know, uh, where did those devices come from? She just conjured them up out of out of the air, you know. But then Gerardi kind of she said, we want we, we can we can uh, do this without assimilating, without taking everybody over. We can work with people and that's how we can change the future of the Borg. And all of that, you know, it, it was a, it was a strange thing for her to, to to say to just move the plot to where we need it to be for next week. Yeah, it, <clears throat> she was essentially saying, um, hey, you don't have to be mean about it. Yeah, <laughs> be, be nice, work with other races and not just take them over and absorb them into yourself. Bring them on board and, you know, get along with them. And the queen's like, that's stupid, but it's worth a shot. You know, it, it, what? That's it, stupid, but it sounds fascinating. Is it, how does it sound fascinating? It's exactly what the Federation does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in a way, is Gerardi assimilating the queen to be like the Federation? Oh, I, I didn't think that through. That just occurred to me right now. She wants to use the board collective to be a beacon for second chances. Oh, okay. That that reminds me of part of what what Gerardi said. Yeah, you know, rather than just you know, hey, go every race that we find, let's try to get them to join us and come on board. Um, no, what what she was specifying was there will always be uh, uh, people and groups and individuals out there that 
were part of something, but the larger thing that they were a part of is no longer. For example, uh, the Borg came through in, in our prime timeline. The Borg, uh, once upon a time, came through and laid waste to the Elorian homeworld. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, destroyed their cities and uh, assimilated most of them. And now there's just, you know, a few a few handfuls of Elorians left in the galaxy just kind of wandering the stars. They are essentially orphans. They're the remnants, the leftovers of a race that no longer exists. Jurati is suggesting, go find these remnants, go find these orphans from civilizations that have been lost either from uh, from the the main Borg collective or natural disasters or war, some other uh, calamity. Collect these orphans and instead of assimilating them, invite them to to join together. I think she even used this particular word. And if she didn't, it's just in my head because um, in playing Star Trek Online, uh, you do uh, occasionally come across Borg that are not part of the collective. Mm-hmm. They are former Borg. They still have all their prestheses. They still look like Borg and talk like them to, to a degree, but they do have some, a lot of their individuality restored. And when they are a group, they're no longer part of the collective. They are the Borg cooperative. And uh, I don't yeah. know if Gerardi used the word cooperative as a noun. I might I have just carried, yeah. carried it over myself from, from the game, but that seems like another aspect of Star Trek Online that they're kind of uh, acknowledging at least a little bit. The the concept of a Borg cooperative where they, they work together yeah. to advance and, uh, and, and grow and seek out perfection, but through cooperation and, and relying on their individual skills rather than just becoming homogenized through assimilation. Yeah. Picard and Talon or Talon emerge from Chateau Picard's tunnels by the dawn's early light. And uh, they're confronted by soon again and a detachment of drones that are under his uh, command. Rios shows up because he was able to, he was able to program Talon's, uh, technology to to listen to him instead of listen to her and and transport him back and he uh rios uh uh he takes out the drones and then soon gets the uh energy weapon and it nearly detonates in his hand because his dna doesn't match the 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 gun so he he throws it it explodes and then he disappears he's gone yeah. So it explodes without injuring anyone, even though that's you know a firearm exploding, yeah, yeah. mere feet from them in the air. Every time we've ever seen every time we've ever seen like an overloaded phaser or whatever, it was like a bomb, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um at the same time, uh the the merged Gerati slash queen, they take command of the La Serena and they leave with it. They take off, they go to warp, and I assume they're going to go slingshot around the sun and go back into the future and leave Picard and company behind to, of course, try and, I guess, hitch a ride with Q back into the future next week. (laughs) 
How are they going to get back to the future? I'm not sure, but I don't think that I don't think that um, the the Gerardi Queen I, and I had a cool couple's name where it, um, where it, it it joined their names together. I can't remember what I came up with. Um, um, uh, I I don't have it. I had a great Agnes Gerardi board queen mashup name it's gone <laughs> i don't think they're going to time travel oh really you don't think they're going back to the future i believe that i here's here's my theory scott's theory time it's been a while i think that they have left earth and they're going to spend because it's they're in the 21st century they're going to spend the next um uh 400 years approximately traveling the galaxy collecting orphans adding to their collective and let's see assuming yeah assuming that the the rest of the characters preserve the europa mission and keep history on the proper prime track they won't have to jump universes they'll still be in the prime timeline so in 400 years they'll be able to just show up hey how's it going picard it's gerardi queen haven't seen you in a couple hundred years we've been out collecting borg and we're back and now we want to join the federation Mm -hmm. this this peace um uh uh offer is legitimate but it took so much work for us to get here to meet you that we're out of energy. So we need to steal some energy so we can, yeah, you know, they, they, they need, they need energy. That's in the first episode of the season. That's all they needed was some energy. They weren't killing anyone. They were just stunning people. It may have looked like they were assimilating a bunch of chips, but really they just needed power so they could stand up straight and say, we want to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm pretty sure that when that mask that the Borg envoy was wearing yeah. pulls back, it's going to be Gerardi fully embracing the role as as queen. Gerardi queen yeah. duality. I I do think that it's her under under that hood. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, they they they've telegraphed it as much. Uh, yeah. So that that board presence that we saw in the first episode, that's Gerardi having spent four hundred years growing the the good Borg mm-hmm. to come and join the Federation. While I'm gonna assume that the evil Borg that we've known for so long is also still out there, but this is a good version that has been brewing for four hundred years, and now they've they're making their presence known. Yeah, I think that's what was happening in the first episode. What we're gonna see in the next one. Yeah, and but and and which would create another circular timeline, and hopefully, well, I mean, obviously, that circle will have to stop because they set off the the stargazers uh, auto destruct sequence, and something will stop them from doing that the second mm-hmm. time around. I think it's going to be Picard learning the lesson that Q is trying to teach him, and that's the that's the escape. The trap is not what's important; it's the escape. The escape is going to be Picard having enough faith to trust to take just another few seconds and trust that maybe the Borg actually want peace this time. 
Yeah. And then he'll that hunch will be proven correct, and we'll see that it's Drati and these Borg are good. He's broken the the temporal cycle that started at the beginning of the season, and he's also learned how to uh, how to trust the Borg after all this time. So that's uh, that's progress. Yeah. And then if they want to get really uh, uh, tropey and a little bit um, cliche, then he can learn another lesson by letting himself have feelings for um, Laris. And they can have a, a nice, meaningful, emotional kiss at the end of the episode just as Beverly shows up at Chateau Picard to say hello. <laughs> yeah. And season two, see you next year for season three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you notice that yes. when Picard is, uh, young Picard is sitting at that table that there's a model of the refit of the NX-01? I already said yes. Why, why are you still saying <laughs> I knew that's what you were going for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, makes that... Uh, proposed refit for season five of enterprise makes it canon now so yeah D doug drexler's uh intended evolution of the nx01 to have a, a star drive section added on without changing the uh the um the dimensions of the of the original yeah just tack a star drive section underneath that lines up perfectly with the saucer and with the nacelles in the back i've always loved that that proposed refit and i was sad that we never got to see it but now it's on that model so so that's cool i yeah i would like more i would like to see an nx01 refit actually in space but until then i'll take a model on picard's table hey i'm not i'm not gonna rule out scott bacula showing up on strange new worlds at some point probably won't be season one but It'll happen at some point because, you know, it, in the novels, Archer lived a really long time. He lived mm -hmm. well into the TOS era. Um, and then, you, you know, even in the in the Abrams universe, Scotty drops that line about Admiral Archer's uh, beagle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that dog. What happened to it? Yeah, I'll tell you when it reappears. I, I still feel bad about that. <laughs> And I mean, you can make the argument that it's not the same Archer, but you know, it's it Admiral Archer's beagle. Come on, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, the, and then I've got in the, in my trivia kind of uh, a note that refers to the same thing you were talking about with the board cooperative. Um, Girardi was not the first to envision a reformed and benevolent board collective. The cooperative. New Cooperative, Unimatrix Zero, and the Artifact were all offshoots of the Borg Collective, which did not share in the main collective's goal of attaining perfection and did not use violence to assimilate new individuals or cultures. Voyager episodes Unity, Unimatrix Zero, and Picard episode Remembrance. I, I don't know if I agree with that entirely, only because the Artifact not really an offshoot of the Borg that, that didn't subscribe to the, uh, to the assimilation goals of the collective. They, they were cut off from the collective. They yeah, were, yeah, yeah. that's why they call them XBs. They're, they're ex Borg, they're former drones. 
it's it's not an offshoot they 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 were a piece of the collective that were severed and and were no longer a part of the collective now they're just um heavily modified people who forgot who they were right yeah yeah it, it may be maybe nitpicking might be a technicality but i just i don't consider them an, an offshoot of the collective all right do you have anything else you want to add before we close up I know I was going to make sure that we talked about that um, NXL one model. Uh, if if you didn't bring it up, um, I'm I'm still not sure exactly where they're going with the Rios and Teresa romance. It definitely looks like they are um, on track to have Rios stay. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I will not be surprised if 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 that happens. Um, I think I would expect and or not be surprised if Rios stays in the 21st century. You got Gerardi is going to go off and become part of the Borg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elnor is dead. Yeah. And I think he's going to stay dead. Yeah. So that leaves, what, seven Seven and, Rafi. and yeah. Rafi, which is about the size of the carryover supporting cast that you want when you have the senior staff of the Enterprise D coming next season to be the supporting cast. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that were speculating when they announced that the uh, TNG legacy characters were going to be in next season mm-hmm. that it was going to be too full there's too many people in the show it's like you haven't seen the rest of the season yet you don't know how this is going to play out but yeah if rio stays behind and eleanor is dead and gerardi is a is a a borg now mm-hmm. then rafi and seven can either carry over and stay or they may go off and go back to the uh what the are they rangers yeah yeah the rangers um yeah and as you know i suppose that's a point i i was assuming that with going from a supporting character in part of the season for season one mm -hmm. speaking of of seven to being a a main character in season two i just made the assumption that she would probably stick around but it's just as likely that she and and rafi will go off together yeah. to have whatever adventures they're going to have. They'll they'll have some more audiobooks uh, starring the two of them and they'll just have a great time there. And um, we are we are going to cover that audiobook eventually. I had somebody write me on Twitter that's the reason it came up. Somebody wrote me on Twitter and said, "Why haven't you guys covered this book? It's a, or this audio drama. It's basically an episode of Picard that you guys aren't covering." Hmm. You know, it's like, "Well, we'll get on that, you know." <laughs> <laughs> one more thing that I one of the uh, quibbles that I had with the episode Okay. Um, I know he got, I, I think he got a single name drop, but the the absence of uh, Robert, yeah, or even the mention of him, that that bothered me. The uh, Maurice, Yvette, and Jean Luc story that we got in the flashbacks, it seemed it, it seemed like they were choosing to ignore that Robert existed because it's easier to tell this story if you just streamline it to one kid. Yeah. And it's another, it's another relationship that you have to explain. Yeah. You know, uh, which 
and this episode it gave us a, a little bit more insight into that one scene in where no one has gone before in season one mm-hmm. yet it it's a little problematic when it comes to um family in season four because picard goes back and he's spending time with robert and their mother isn't even mentioned mm-hmm. that would that would have been a thing because yeah. maybe maybe Picard forgot about it. I, maybe Jean-Luc forgot about it. Robert wouldn't forget. That could have been, which I mean, we're speculating on, we're speculating on a story that was written way before this, but it could have been the source of some of the animosity that Robert had for Picard. Mm-hmm. If, if he had been away at school or something and his mother killed herself while he was gone and it turned out that uh Jean-Luc had been the one that let her out yeah you know so if they're getting to the point where they're physically fighting amongst the vines in in that episode of family you would think that Robert would have said and it's your fault mom's dead throw mud yeah (laughs) (laughs) so I and there's there's no easy way around it they did the best that they could it would have been messier to try to get in there and and make the retcon work mm-hmm. they yeah. they did what what they would have had to do when you're writing more backstory 20 years 30 years after the fact yeah but yeah. it's still still a little bit disappointing um and and before we do the close out do you have anything that you want to say or anything you want to speculate about um uh one there must be two renee's one that lives and one that dies I heard somebody saying something like that. Uh, mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, because there's uh, there's obviously there's two timelines. I mean, I know they keep saying that the, it's the same timeline. It's just different. But the, I've said before, time travel rules change every time they use them with Star Trek. Yeah. You know, so there's two timelines. So Gerardi already told soon, you know, there's either either this mission goes through and you become obsolete or the mission is stopped and you become a legend, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's kind of the same thing, you know, either, either the mission is, is a success or it's not. Uh, I don't know that that has to mean that she has to die, but you know, do you think that it's a clever way of saying one Renee, the one in the Europa mission must live and another Renee Picard's nephew must die. Do you yeah. think that they're going to bring the the fire at Chateau Picard from generations? Do you think they're going to bring that back and have his nephew and his ancestor as the two Renes? One has to live and one has to die. It'd, it'd be weird for them to do that just because there's been no mention of him this whole season. It, if, it, for, it would for be kind, to, kind of yeah. out of left field, but I guarantee that there are hundreds of fans out there who, when they heard two Renees, oh, they're talking about the nephew. Oh, well, yeah, the fans can come up with stuff that, that <laughs> you know, we've said before, the, the, the fans usually come up with better stuff than what actually happens. And that's not, what's <laughs> just, that's not just Star Trek. That's everything, you know? Yeah. Uh, we spend a lot more time just sitting around thinking about it and discussing it than the actual <laughs> writers do sometimes, but yeah. All right. That's, so, that, that's all I have. So check out our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash infinite potato is where you'll find uh, 
early access to episodes, our movie commentaries. We try to do every month. And this month we did Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. And it's available right now as both a video or an audio podcast, whichever way you want to uh, digest it. It was a rough movie. It was a rough movie, but it was fun to, you know, it's one of those movies that is fun to watch with people, but it's not something I would ever want to just watch on my own. But um, you can join for $3 a month or you can become a producer like Brandon Ushio, Dale Goodall and Tom Corcoran. And that's uh, being a member at the $10 level. So go and check that out. And if you want to contact the show, you can leave us a voicemail on Anchor or you can send us an email or a Facebook message. Just go to our website at infinitepotato.com. Click on the link for that Star Trek podcast and you'll find all those links. Scott, where can everybody find you? Uh, On occasion, I can be found here on that Star Trek podcast or on uh, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast, which we're going to be recording an episode of just in a few minutes, I think. And I'm going to be on that one, too. Um, recently, on an episode of Captain Game Show, as of this recording, it was released, I think, today or yesterday. Um, so I'm not on it often, but every now and again, including that one. Um, though my podcasting appearances are fewer these days, uh, I am trying to keep at work doing some graphic artwork which can be found on my website at www.planetrisecreative.com also on twitter at planet rise uh, all one word uh, and i am open for commission so if anyone needs a, a book cover or a social media banner or avatar um, or logo something like that reach out let me know we can come up with something Alrighty, and we will be back next week we'll act we're actually doing two episodes next week uh, we'll cover the season finale of Picard, which has no title yet, as far as I know. Yeah, I know you're, you're not you're not going to be able to make it. But um, mm-hmm. all right. So until next time, thanks for being here. Remember, the promise of legacy reveals the rot that is hidden underneath it. <laughs> <laughs>